Uh, Joel, there's a PowerPoint. Uh, if you can start that, that'd be great. It should already be open. That's it. Good job. Uh, this is Nadia. She is an Egyptian Coptic Christian. In May 2017, she and her family were on a bus visiting the monastery of St Samuel in Minya, Egypt. She was travelling with her son Hani and her daughter Zoraida and her son-in-law Sammy. Uh, some men in military clothing shot the tyres of the bus and came aboard. Uh, she describes what happened next. My son-in-law Sammy was sitting in the front of the bus. They turned towards him first. They ordered him to convert to Islam. My son-in-law showed the cro cross tattoo on his wrist and said, no, I will not, I'm a Christian. Then he was shot. The terrorists asked each man on the bus to convert to Islam or die. They stopped next to her son, Hani. Nadia watched from the back of the bus. She saw Hani raise his wrist and heard his last words, no, I'm a Christian. They shot him too. Nadia said, maybe you think I would rather have seen my son make a different choice. And of course, as a mother, I'm terribly sad and angry because I lost my son, but I'm happy that I witnessed the faith I raised in him. I'm thankful that he wouldn't deny Christ, even with his life in danger. He made the right choice, she said, and that has been a huge comfort to me. Put yourself in their shoes on the bus that day. Would you have had the courage to stand up uh, like Hanny and Sa um, Sammy? Uh, at times I wonder whether I would have. Does the message of Jesus mean that much to you? Or does your safety and comfort mean more? They're challenging questions, aren't they? Uh, they're the sort of questions we face as we look at this first part of Romans. Because Paul wants to make one thing perfectly clear in his, in his, in his introduction, he's not ashamed of the gospel. Do you see it there in verse 16? I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. It's interesting, we might have said, I'm proud of the gospel. So it's quite interesting why he says, I'm not ashamed of it. Uh, so we'll be thinking about that a bit. Uh, but let's begin by thinking about that word gospel. It's a word that we're going to hear a lot over the next couple of months. It's a word that in Greek, literature means something like good news announcement. A messenger would return from the battlefield with news of victory and he'd bring a gospel. And when the biography writers recorded what Jesus had done during his earthly life, his death and his resurrection, they called those biographies not bios, but gospel. Declarations of good news. So, for example, the book of Mark begins the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then when Jesus arrived, he preached the gospel. He gospeled about the kingdom of God. And then he passed the baton on to his disciples uh, to pass on that message, that gospel message. And so when Paul uses the word gospel, he means the message that Jesus Christ has come and died and been raised. And because of that, 
God offers us salvation, forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That's the gospel. And Paul begins by saying he's not ashamed of that. But I wonder whether sometimes we are. Perhaps the conversation at work or school turns uh, to same-sex marriage or abortion or how all religions are the same or about how out-of-date Christianity is. And we're not quite sure whether to speak up or or to say nothing. We're not quite sure whether saying nothing would be better than saying the wrong thing. It's certainly easier to be quiet. And so perhaps you say nothing and the opportunity slips you by. I wonder whether it's not often because we think that the gospel isn't effective. We think that it can't change people that speaking up is not going to be worth the hassle and the discomfort because it's not going to do anything anyway. But Paul wants to say, right up front, he's not ashamed of the gospel. And what's the reason he gives? Because it's God's power to save people. That's why he doesn't mind. He's not ashamed of it. He's seen the power in the message. Again and again, he's seen stumbling, stuttering, fearful words delivered in human weakness, but God works through them. He's seen blind eyes opened and deaf ears unblocked. He's seen it, those words, move people from death to life and make them new people. All sorts of people, weak and strong, rich and poor, content and disappointed, young and old. We need to believe that. Not just here at church, where it's easy to believe, but at work on Monday. We need to hear it, standing in line to head into school. We need to hear it as we're waiting to pick up the kids from school with the other parents. We need to hear it in the doctor's waiting room on Wednesday as we're waiting for the test results. We need to hear it as we catch the train and stand next to the other commuters on Thursday and Friday. We need to hear it as we're standing on the sidelines of the soccer field on Saturday. Not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's God's power to save people. It's a strange way of doing it. I don't know why God picked that way, but he he picked us to proclaim that. And that's his power, us speaking the words to other people. I want to stop and think for a moment about how those first Roman Christians would have heard this idea. The year's AD 57. Paul's been preaching for the best part of 20 years, uh, beginning in Asia and hopping across into Europe, but he's never made it to Rome. He's often wanted to go there, but he hasn't got there yet. And one of the reasons was that a few years before AD 49, The Roman Emperor Claudius had expelled all the Jews from Rome. There were riots uh, and the Jews were blamed and and that included the Jewish Christians. So the Jewish Christians were booted out of Rome as well. Uh, We read about it in Acts chapter 18 verse 2, uh, among other places in non-biblical history. Uh, But in Acts 18, Paul meets a couple, Priscilla and Aquila, in the city of Corinth. And we're told that they're two Jews who've been forced out of Rome by Claudius. 
and one of the Corinthian house churches meets in their place. Uh, But in 54, Claudius dies and is succeeded by Nero uh, and so the Jews are allowed to return to Rome, uh, which means, among other things, that Paul also is allowed to visit. And now the Emperor Nero is in charge. He's in charge of this greatest city in the world, the city that ruled the empire, the city with the great architecture and the roads and the armies and the engineering. And Nero was lapping up all the glory. He was Caesar. He was emperor. He had a huge statue of himself erected in Rome. He claimed to be the equal to Apollo and the other Roman gods. He encouraged emperor worship. His tutor, Seneca, called him the long-awaited saviour of the world. Inscriptions on coins and in the Parthenon in Athens declare him son of God. Divi Phileus, good reading, you can catch just the outline there on the, on the left-hand side. And into this mix comes Paul, an ambassador, an apostle, a sent messenger, a sent royal messenger from another ruler (coughs) with a message that's going to seem pretty uncomfortable. A message you'd be tempted tempted to be ashamed of. Jump back up to verse 1 to hear about Paul and this message that he's not ashamed of. Uh, Keep in mind also that the title Christ is not a surname for Jesus, it means the anointed king. So look at verse 1. Paul, a servant of King Jesus, of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do you catch something of the dangerous flavour in that passage? This Jesus, this obscure descendant of the Jewish royal family, the, the one that the Romans had put to death a couple of decades ago, he wasn't dead. He wasn't buried. He wasn't forgotten. He'd been declared by his resurrection to be the supreme son of God. Not Caesar, Jesus, the king. King Jesus had a higher claim to respect and honour than Nero himself. That was the message Paul was presenting and the one he's not ashamed of. And Paul's message is King Jesus demands a response from people. Do you see what he goes on to say in verse 5? He'd commissioned Paul to call all people everywhere to the obedience that comes from faith. The message is that the whole world is to be in obedience to Jesus Christ alone, not to Caesar. He was Lord, he was King, he was Son of God, not Caesar. Now, they were dangerous words. This was a dangerous gospel message. It's one that you would be tempted to be ashamed of. It's the sort of message that would get you beaten up even killed, like Sammy and Hani who spoke up for Jesus. And yet Paul's not ashamed of it. 
Why? What, what is it about this message that makes people prepared to take risks like that? Notice at the end of verse 1, firstly, that this message has governed and shaped Paul's life. He's commissioned by Jesus himself and set apart for the gospel. It's the reason he exists. It's why he gets up in the morning. It's what keeps him going through the day. It shapes his travel plans, his relationships, his letter writing. It shapes his priorities and his fears and his goals and his words. Look at verse 9, for example. Paul serves God with his whole heart. He constantly remembers the Romans in his prayers. Or verses 11 to 13. He talks about how long he's wanted to visit Rome for so that he can build up their faith. It occupies his thinking. Verse 14, he's obligated, he's compelled to Greeks and to non-Greeks, to the wise and the foolish. He's got a burden for, for all sorts of people. The message is bursting out of him. Verse 15, he's eager to preach that message in Rome. Now, Paul was unique. I don't think there's been anyone like him, but, but it still begs the question, doesn't it? What influence has the gospel message had on you? How has it shaped you? Your choices, your priorities, the things you do or don't do. Is your life any different from your neighbour across the road or your work colleague across the aisle? How is your family life different because of the gospel? I guess it all comes down to whether you value what Jesus offers you, whether the good news of forgiveness and eternity and salvation is actually good news to you or not. Paul was set apart for the gospel. A second reason he's not ashamed of the gospel is that it belongs to God. It's God's gospel. It comes from him. It concerns him. Do you see there in verse 2? set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets. He's planned it since the dawn of time. He's promised it through his prophets. And he wants his people to be ready for when Jesus arrives. It's a message from God. It's a message about God. He reveals himself in it. Uh, and we see that also in the third point, the, the third reason uh, not to be ashamed of the gospel because it's about his son Jesus. Verse 3, the gospel he promised beforehand regarding his son who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Now, the prophets announced his entrance like the fanfare of royal trumpets and then Jesus steps into history fully human born a descendant of King David, with all the expectation, the Jewish expectation that went with that. And then he arrives in power, not to be crowned, not to be placed on a throne, but declared son of God and king in his resurrection. Declared the conqueror of death, enthroned to reign forever. That's good news worth trumpeting. That's the gospel that Paul's not ashamed of. 
And it's not news for, for just a select few either, for those who happen to be in the right place at the right time. This is good news for everyone. Uh, it may have come uh, promised from uh, Jewish prophets, Jesus may have been born a Jew, but Paul's job is to spread the message beyond the boundaries of Israel to every nation. Uh, verse 5 again. Uh, Through him and for his name's sake we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles or uh, from in all the nations to the obedience that comes from faith. Now, the Roman Empire was spreading through all the nations as well, wasn't it? But obedience was being forced at the end of a sword. But Paul is taking his message across the known world and King Jesus is calling for obedience that comes from faith, simply by trusting. A faith that shows itself in a willing obedience. It was a message that crossed all sorts of boundaries, geographical, national, language, culture. This was a message for every nation, a message that's effective at saving every nation. It's not just for the West or the East. It's not just for the intelligent or the unintelligent. It's not just for the rich or the poor. Verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Uh, that was God's order. Jesus came first to the Jews, to Israel, his covenant people. But the plan was always, right from the beginning, to go to the whole world. We see it in the book of Acts. The message began in Jerusalem and it goes through Judea and Samaria and it finishes up in Rome where Paul's a prisoner a couple of decades later. Beginning with Jews, finishing with Gentiles. But of course it doesn't end at the end of the book of Acts, it doesn't end in Rome, it spreads across Europe, it spreads into Asia and into Africa and into Britain to America and even makes it to Australia. Uh, this one message that Jesus is king above all kings, a king above all other allegiances and loyalties, the son of God who conquered death, who deserves your allegiance. Now that sounds like a message that should make a difference in your life. It sounds like a message that you can't take or leave, that you can't ignore. You need to do something with a message like that. You can't just take it as good advice or moral teaching. If God, who made you, really has sent you this message and has presented his Son as King and Lord and defeater of death and who demands your obedience that comes when you trust him, that's a message you need to do something with. You need to take it seriously. But maybe you're thinking, what's so good about that? What's the good news? What's good in the good news? Because, Dave, you're talking about giving up my independence. I'm not sure I want to give up my independence. Aussies are pretty good at uh, being independent, aren't we? We don't like to submit to any sort of authority. Parking attendants, lifesavers, I'm not going to swim between the flags, I'll swim where I want to. Librarians, you can't tell me to be quiet, I don't want to be quiet. We don't like submitting to any authority, let alone Jesus, 
who is demanding allegiance in everything. Being called to the obedience that comes from faith, it sounds like bad news, perhaps you're thinking. So where's the good in this good news? Well, let me just pull out a a few aspects about Paul's message that are good news. We, We get a few in this introduction, but there are a whole lot more all through Romans. And let me encourage you to read it and see if you can find them. There's lots there. First up, back in Paul's introduction, notice in verse 7 how he addresses the Roman Christians. Verse 7, To all in Rome who are loved by God, called to be saints. A saint is not someone who is in a window like that. A saint just means someone who's been set apart. It's, It's anyone who's a Christian. The Roman Christians have been set apart because they're especially loved by God. We'll see as the letter unfolds that the message of the gospel is about a practical demonstration of his love. The sacrificial, gracious, merciful, forgiving love of the creator of the universe. To be called to obedience of a God like that It's not about squashing your individuality. It's not about beating you into submission. It's not bad news. It's connection to your creator. It's a relationship that you were made for. It's the sort of life that you will thrive in. Uh, Loved and set apart. The second positive thing about this good news is that it's about salvation. Verse 16, we've read it before, it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Rescue. The offer of a rescue is great news, especially if you're in deadly danger. And we're all facing that. We're all facing death and judgment. Uh, We'll see more of the danger we're under next week, but the gospel is an offer of rescue. A safety line lowered from a helicopter is good news. A lifesaver's hand reaching out to grab you as you go under under the water is good news. God who calls you and loves you offers to rescue uh, in his son, offers you rescue in his son from sin and death. A God who offers you that, uh, it doesn't sound like such a bad thing uh, to obey him. It sounds more like gratitude than bondage to me. One final aspect of what's good about this good news, uh, we've seen it's about salvation and rescue. We've seen uh, it's about being saints and being loved. Thirdly, we see it's about righteousness. Uh, And that's there in verse 17. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God uh, is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, this, this word righteousness, it's really the key word in the whole letter. And there are a whole lot of aspects to it. And each chapter sort of uh, looks at a different aspect of righteousness. God's righteousness. Uh, there's aspects to do with God's personal character, quality of who he is. For in the gospel, God's righteousness is revealed. He's trustworthy. He's righteous in himself. He's completely reliable. We see what God is like in the gospel. 
But the gospel message is also about, also about how he gives us righteousness. He gives us a right standing before him. He acquits us. He changes our verdict from guilty to innocent. Now you might think, oh, that sounds fairly technical and um, boring. But I want you to think about the last time you had a really bad fight with your best friend or maybe your husband or wife uh, when that broken relationship was just lying there hanging and it was horrible. But then there was the tough conversation and then there were the tears and the apologies and the forgiveness and there was the hug or the handshake and there was a new beginning. The broken relationship was restored. There was righteousness. The relationship was restored. That's what we're talking about when we talk about God giving a gift of righteousness, of acquittal. And it comes through faith in God, the faithful one. It comes when we trust the trustworthy one. It comes when we rely on the reliable one when he promises to make us righteousness, uh, to make us righteous and to save us and to love us. That's the good news. That's the gospel news. It's the news that changes people. It's the news that we're not to be ashamed of. It changed people. It changed me. Now, I was about 15. It's coming up to 40 years ago. I'd grown up in the church, I knew all the facts, I knew all the information, but it was up here, it wasn't here. But one night, when I got to the end of myself, when I realised that I couldn't live the way that God wanted me to live, and I gave up. You might think that was bad, but that was the best thing that I'd ever done, when I got to the end of myself. And everything just clicked. And God opened my eyes and I trusted him rather than myself. I turned away from my self-reliance and my pride and I, and I reached out to God. And I understand what I did now better than I did then, but God saved me in a powerful way. He, he made me right in his eyes. He showed me his love. Many of us here have stories like that. If God can do it for us, he can do it for anyone. So don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Let's pray. Now, Heavenly Father, uh, there's much here that uh, we could spend time talking about, uh, but we thank you uh, most of all for this message that someone told us if we're Christians, someone told that message to us and you used it. It was your power uh, to turn us from darkness to light. Uh, we thank you for those people. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love expressed to us in Jesus uh, that in him you make us righteousness, you make us righteous and you show us your love. Uh, Lord, for any here who don't know that yet, we pray for them. We pray uh, that they might... Uh, understand the, what you're offering them, that you would open their eyes and help them to see Jesus and help them to see you and help them to trust you. 
We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.